Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Wednesday Reflection from St. Anne's Egbert. My name is Matt Davis, and I'm the curate or the assistant minister at St. Anne's. Now, before I start this week's reflection, I wanted to let you know about something exciting that we're starting next week. If you're a regular at St. Anne's, you've probably heard of our What If course. It's a course designed for people who want to find out more about Christianity. And over five weeks, we're going to be hosting it online. Maybe you aren't a Christian, but you've become interested and would like to find out more. Or maybe you are a Christian, but still have lots of questions or doubts, or like to think things through again. Well, you'd be very welcome to join us and chat about Christianity together. Each week, Ian and I will give a short talk on one aspect of Christianity, and the rest of the time will be opened up for discussion and questions. We're going to host the meeting on Zoom, and if you'd like to join us, all you need to do is send an email to whatif at saintannesegbirth.com. That's whatif, all one word, at saintannesegbirth, again, all one word, dot com. And we'll reply with details about how to log in and join us next Thursday. It would be great to have you join us if you'd like to. Okay. I think I've mentioned before now that I like to go running in my spare time. And recently I went on a bit of a long run from Egberth. I went all the way along the promenade and into the city centre and back via Prince's Park. And it was amazing to see how quiet Liverpool is during the lockdown. It was like a ghost town. All the shops were shut, most of them had their lights off and had little notices on the front explaining they were shutting down due to the virus as if anyone didn't know. But one sign caught my attention. It was one of the electronic billboards up above a bank opposite Debenhams on Lord Street, I think it was. And it had a quotation from John Lennon. It said this, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. I guess whoever decided to put that up wanted to encourage people. It's very timely, isn't it? Things aren't okay at the moment, but we hope they will be. My oldest son started back at school on Monday and as I picked him up, I asked him if it was nice to be back with his teacher again. He didn't answer straight away. So I asked, is it a bit weird? And he looked at me and he simply said, both. You see, even though we're getting hints of normality, as some things are just starting to return, it's still all a bit weird. Things aren't okay. Life is still difficult. It's all unnatural. So at a time like this, John Lennon's words give us a bit of encouragement, don't they? Things are weird, but it's not the end. We just have to wait a bit longer. Everything will be okay in the end. But there's always a but, isn't there? But do we really believe what John Lennon says? Everything will be okay in the end. Do you actually agree? Now I'm guessing we all want it to be true, don't we? Life's full of ups and downs. We don't want to finish on a down, we hope to finish on the high. Old and full of years, happy with life and our accomplishments and loved by everyone. We want this to be true, don't we? But our experience of life makes us doubt this, doesn't it? See, for some people it is okay in the end, but for others it really isn't and there's no guarantee which group we'll be in. 
It seems it's only in fairy tales or Disney films that the hero or heroine overcomes all the challenges by the final scene and then gets to live happily ever after. We want things to be okay in the end, but it's just that, a want, a desire. If we're honest, we have no control and we can't get rid of that niggling fear that it won't be okay. Well, shall we see what God thinks about all of this? One of the lectionary readings for today is Mark chapter 12, verses 18 to 27. Jesus is approached by some people called Sadducees. They were a religious political party about 2000 years ago in Israel. And they come and ask Jesus a tricky question to try and disprove some things he's been saying. I'll read it so we can hear what happened. It's Mark chapter 12, verses 18 to 27. When the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since there were seven married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the, the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Okay, so there was quite a lot in that passage, wasn't there? First of all, we met the Sadducees who obviously don't believe in the resurrection. For them, it's just you die and that's it, the end. In fact, they only read the first five books of the Bible, that's known as the Torah. And in that, there's no real mention of life after death. So they refuse to believe in it. And they get the idea that Jesus somehow does believe in life after death. So they come to show him that he's wrong. And they have a really clever reason for why life after death makes no sense. You see, in the Old Testament law, there was a law up for anyone who died without producing an heir. You see, there was a problem for someone, a man who died without children. His name and his memory would be lost and there'd be no one to pass his inheritance on to. So an unmarried brother would marry the widow and that would continue the line and protect the inheritance. So the Sadducees got thinking. They realised that this would cause problems for any life after death. If all three were resurrected, the woman, her first husband and the second husband, they'd all be married, wouldn't they? She'd have two husbands and this was obviously wrong. So they come to Jesus and just to increase the absurdity factor, they think up a poor woman who had to marry seven brothers. And obviously this is ridiculous. There can't possibly be any life after death. Now, have you ever been in a disagreement with someone 
and you've had the chance to pre-plan what you're going to say. You're itching for the opportunity to deliver the world's best ever put down or come back. The kind of thing you usually get to think of after a disagreement. But this time you get to say it and you pull it off perfectly. It really takes the wind out of their sails. It knocks them down a peg or two and it puts them firmly in their place. Well, that's how the Sadducees were feeling. They've delivered the killer blow this, to this silly superstition of life after death. They're just waiting for Jesus to say, hmm, yeah, hadn't really thought of that. Oh, you might have a point. But this time, there's no awkward silence. Instead, Jesus volleys it straight back to them in saying, are you not in error? because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Eek. You see, these men prided themselves on being experts in the scriptures. How dare Jesus say they don't know it? It would be like telling Jurgen Klopp he doesn't understand football. But before they can complain or even just gather their thoughts, Jesus lobs another one at them. When the dead rise. You see, Jesus very firmly plants his marker in the ground. He's spoken of his own resurrection before. He's not changed his mind. When the dead rise, it's not a matter of if, but when. When the dead rise, because they will rise from the dead. And when people do rise from the dead, marriage will be irrelevant. And so will the Sadducees' false logic. You see, when people rise from the dead, some things will change. Jesus isn't saying we'll be bodiless spirits floating around. He's just saying that in this case, we'll be like angels with regards to marriage. You see, there'll be no need for marriage in heaven, just as there'll be no need for birth in heaven. In heaven, things will be different. Some things will change. And then after mentioning angels, Jesus goes for the proverbial jugular. The Sadducees want to limit their biblical arguments to the Torah, only the first five books written by Moses. They think they're safe with that. And Jesus effectively says, okay then, let's focus on the Torah. Let's prove to you from the very scriptures you claim to be experts in. And he says, have you not read in the book of Moses? And now the amazing bit. You see, rather than focus on an obscure verse or two, Jesus picks the account of Moses at the burning bush. And Jesus doesn't just pick Moses' words, he quotes God's own words. When God says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Okay, so it's still not entirely clear to us, is it? So Jesus explains what he means by quoting this verse in verse 27. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. You see, what we need to remember is that God is a promise-making God. And God doesn't make promises to dead people. That would be totally pointless. He makes promises to living people. But also, if the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac and to Jacob were limited to their earthly lives, well, then God's promises would be limited as well. And worse, some of God's promises would be unfulfilled. You see, God promised Abraham, Isaac and Jacob a promised land, somewhere that they would be able to live and settle with their families. But they never settled in the promised land. 
even though God had explicitly promised it to them. In fact, in the New Testament, the letter to the Hebrews puts it like this in chapter 11, verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Now that's a pretty huge issue, isn't it? What is going on? Did God somehow run out of time and fail? And why on earth would God effectively say to Moses, I'm the God of people who died before I got round to fulfilling my promises to them? It would be like a political party standing for election, even though they didn't do anything in their manifesto last time they were in power. There's a slim chance of them getting back into power. They'd be totally untrustworthy. You see, this is the problem with the Sadducees' bad logic. Jesus says God is different. God is both a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. God is still keeping his promises, and he hasn't failed because he hasn't run out of time. Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not dead. You see, a few verses later in Hebrews, it says this, Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, God does keep his promises. Not always how we expect him to. In fact, he fulfills his promises often in a far better way than we can imagine. See, for Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, God's heavenly city is an eternal city and it's going to be so much better than any crumbling city here on earth. And that brings us back to John Lennon. We hope he's right, don't we, when he says all will be okay in the end. Not just with this virus, but with everything. But we just don't know if we can trust what he says. Well, if you're a Christian, all will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. And even when it looks like the end, it isn't. You see, for Christians, death is not the end. We have hope of eternal life. We have hope of the resurrection. Life with God in perfection, where the Bible tells us there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. Life when God promises to care for us and protect us. No matter what will happen, he will. You see, no one else can give us that kind of hope. Death gets in the way of everyone else's promises, but not God. See, true hope is only found in Christianity. God always keeps his promises. And if it ever looks like he hasn't, well, it's not the end. And death certainly isn't the end when God's around. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you, Lord, how Jesus shows us that there's so much more in your word than we often take, than we often read at face value. We thank you, Father, that the promise of eternal life is right back there at the start and all the way through to the end as well. Father, we thank you that your promises are sure, that your promises do not come to an end until you have fulfilled them. We thank you, Father, that just as you make promises, so you keep them. And Father, that you promised to give all of us who trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, a wonderful future with you in heaven, where there will be no more death, 
or mourning or crying or pain. Father, we know at this time there are many things on our minds. And Father, indeed, throughout life, there are things we are worried about and concerned about, things that aren't okay. But Father, we thank you so much that because of Jesus, ultimately everything will be okay because we trust in you. So Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's the end of our reflection for this week. It's been great to be able to share this word of God with you. Hopefully um, you'll have a great week and it'll be lovely to see you again on Sunday. So until then, God bless and take care. Bye bye.